Do Savannah editor Zach Dennis hates Forsyth Park? Well, not really. The Do Savannah editor recently penned a column about how Daffin deserves some big-time local arts and cultural events, usually the purview of Forsyth, and the piece continues to stir emotions. We discuss that notion as well as remember Savannah icon John Duncan on this edition of the Commute Podcast. Good day, Savannah, from all of us here at savannahnow.com. This is the Commute Podcast, presented by National Office Systems. I'm your host, Adam Van Brimmer, opinion columnist and a deputy editor at the Savannah Morning News. I'm going to skip the preamble today and cut right to the sponsor's message. National Office Systems is the Commute's presenting sponsor, and we're going to need them soon around here. We're getting new, at least to us, office space. Once we settle on an address, we know who to call to make it comfortable and productive. That's right, Scott Center and his team at National Office Systems. They've been helping Savannah businesses with their office needs since the 1980s. National Office Systems offers more than 200 product lines, including a new collaboration from two of the office furniture industry's leaders, Herman Miller and Knoll, also known as Miller Knoll. If your office space needs a refresh, National Office Systems can help. Learn more by visiting www.natoffsys.com. That's www.natoffsys.com. Now, here's the conversation with Zach Dennis. Joined on the commute today by my colleague, Zach Dennis, who is the producer of this podcast, handles all the technical work, makes me sound somewhat good. Do my best. He's also the Do Savannah editor and one of my fellow deputy editors here for Jack of All Trades. And today we're going to podcast and we're going to talk a lot about some things that Zach has been writing and following in recent weeks. And let's start with the controversial one. It's, yeah. it's been a couple of weeks now, but uh, right, is it right after or right before the Jazz Fest? It was the Monday right after Jazz Festival. So it was fresh in people's brains. Right, right. So Zach wrote a column basically saying, Forsyth is great, but like most of downtown Savannah, it no longer um, is a big draw for locals. It has become more a draw for tourists, and maybe we should look beyond Forsyth. And underneath that was, Zach, I want you to kind of fill in the blanks here, is there seems to be a sentiment to want to do things arts and cultural related beyond Forsyth Park and, Mm -hmm. and spread into other parts of of the city and meet people essentially where they are. And I think that was kind of the, that was kind of what you were trying to get at with a column. But of course, people, people latch on the whole idea of you're bashing Forsyth Park and you hate Forsyth Park. And I know that's not true, but I'm going to go ahead and get out of the way and let you talk about it. Yeah. The main point of it was that um, a lot of the arts organizations in town are really wanting to like, they talk a lot about accessibility. So, um, you know, I've had conversations with music festival, with the harmonic, uh, Telfair, a lot of them want to be accessible to people. Um, and so my point with the column was, it's not that um, Forsyth is inaccessible. I mean, you saw the, there was an amazing turnout for the Jazz Festival and the and the, and the, and the Phil the Park. Um, but there's, to me, I, you know, I, I walk around Daffin a number of times during the week, and I just feel like there's a lot of opportunities there, not just with Forsyth, you kind of have the two big lawns. They generally use the one lawn that goes up to the amphitheater. Mm-hmm. And that's about all they use in terms of like events. Mm-hmm. And at Daffin, I think one, one, you have more amenities. You have a giant lawn. You have the banana stadium. You have the, the two streets with the um, 
trees in the middle that like in that you could kind of run stuff through. You have the tennis courts, you have the pond, you have all this different stuff. You can utilize and make a much more more dynamic mm-hmm. event by going there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then accessibility wise, I think it's the, the, and that was kind of the point I was getting at was that you have a lot of different socioeconomic backgrounds you could tap into if you were adapted for, for people who could walk, because that's the other thing is there are a lot of people I think are fine driving or, or biking or whatever to foresight, but you could have so many people who have families who, and, and more importantly, people who don't go to those events normally, who could probably walk from the east side, from Waters Avenue, from Parkside, from Artsley Park, and be able to walk there. You have way more parking than you do at Forsyth Park. Mm-hmm. And I think people, it just, to me, feels like much more of a community park. Um, again, Forsyth is great, but it's it's kind of a meeting place and a, and a target for, you know, that's where the tourists want to go because you see it on, you know, if you had a right. picture of Savannah for, you know, a travel guide, you'd probably have the fountain at Forsyth Park. Because Savannah must have it from every angle. Exactly. And so, and there's nothing wrong with that. And But I'm kind of like, I think if we really want to make, if we're going to make accessible community oriented festivals, it should probably be in death and where I think you're going to, you can one, do something more dynamic and two, activate the community a little bit more. And I think we're starting to see, and maybe it's just coming out of COVID, but I know there was a, there was a festival on Square in Gordon. I know this weekend yeah. there's a festival in Square at, or in, in Hall Park, which, mm-hmm. is, which is a, a, a large square. There's these green spaces all over town on the south side and Windsor, everywhere that could host these kinds of events. And and you're right, it is kind of interesting that Forsyth tends to get everything. I mean, for obvious reasons, that's the most recognizable. And Mm -hmm. and and so the city said, you know, it has the pedigree. Right. That was their description. Right. And then uh, of course we have events down on on Bay Street, uh, Rossiter Place. What is the name of that park? Emmett Park. Yeah, and, yeah, and of course, you know, there's some commercial things that go on in the city market and Planter Riverside, but and then you got down the road at Canal District. There's going to be a lot of green spaces there, there. Yeah. so there's there's plenty of of opportunities there. Um, bottom line, though, is you hate Forsyth Park. Just I do. I, that, that was the immediate email I got, and so it was this woman chastising me, saying that she and her family had wonderful a wonderful time at the jazz festival, and I'm taking that memory away from her. Which, if you're listening, I am trying to take that memory away. We <laughs> <laughs> also had some letters to the editor to that, uh, and to hey, let's kind of spin off of that. Is is you mentioned wanting the arts and culture organizations wanting to get out? The Philharmonic has done a lot of that. This yeah. Year, right. I, I went to one that was over at the, the Yacht Club on the islands. I know there was one in Isle of Hope. Mm-hmm. Those kind of events have a lot of potential, right? Well, and you mentioned the Gordonston Fair and the whole park fair. Um, yeah, those are, those are, you know, great opportunities. We talked on this podcast um, a couple weeks ago with, with Kay Harada and Amy Williams with Philharmonic, and they said that they got a lot of positive responses from the community from those because they had people. The thing we talked about was, Again, you don't recognize how many new people have moved here compared to people. So there's a lot of people in town who are not familiar with the Philharmonic, not because they have been silent, but because they moved to town, they probably aren't aware. And so then when they're in their neighborhood, they're going, oh, this is really cool. I should check them out. And they ran into those people as much as longtime patrons. Um, But the Gordonston one, I stopped by that. That was a really nice if anything, I felt like they could have activated. There was a lot of just empty space. They could have activated even more things. I mean. They had a really nice setup. Panhandle Slim was there. They had music. They had food. Um, it was a really great little event. And I'm like, this is awesome. You know, you're there in the neighborhood. And then 
Um, if you read the Do Savannah article that's um, online now about Whole Park, that the, the guy he he and his husband are um, who are running it are from Atlanta, and they kind of saw this and was like, "What you know? Why can't we be activating these spaces?" And so they're hoping that what they do, which is kind of a nice small family community fair, you know, let's do that in Baldwin Park. Let's do that in you know just all around the you know all around the city because you have these nice squares and you have people who are engaged and so make, you know, highlight the neighborhoods that are not just downtown. And I think that'll open up the city a little bit more because it'll allow people to one, feel much more um, engaged in the community. And two, it just kind of spreads things out. So it's not all just, as you're saying, like River Street, Mm -hmm. Forsyth Park and things like Mm -hmm. that. And we could eventually start to see it get organized and have a bit of a rotation, right? Yeah. We got so many, we got such a, for lack of a better way to put it, a short season for these festivals just because our weather is either too cold or too hot most of the year and we, of course we've seen in the last couple of weeks we had in richmond hill they had the big festival two mm-hmm. weeks ago before had the big festival so savannah has certainly find its own rotation going on yeah and i hope that's a good point because i hope that they i hope there's communication and collaboration there because a lot of the issues and this might just be another column is uh savannah arts organizations are fantastic but they also work but they don't, they don't work together necessarily. They work in silos. Mm-hmm. And so there's all this cool stuff happening that kind of can intersect with other cool stuff happening, but everybody's off thinking they're inventing the wheel. And you're just like, no, if you guys kind of coordinated a little bit more, you can make something really nice. And um, you've seen the benefits of that. Two Tides has done that with their things. Um, Sulphur Studios with their first Fridays are, are, are a great collaboration between the whole block. Like um, when they work, they work. But I hope, I hope as we expand this neighborhood, fair program um i hope we see everybody collaborate so yeah it's not just there's three neighborhoods in one weekend um i want to talk a little bit about john duncan who passed away recently but mm-hmm. since we're on the uh we're on the topic of arts you wanted to plug something that's coming up tonight thursday it kind of relates i did talk to this person as uh, as a part of the duncan story but yeah george Dawes green who just came out with a new book called um kingdoms of savannah he grew up in brunswick uh, is familiar with the area now lives in new york but He's going to be, he's doing an event with the Book Lady and the Learning Center tonight at 7 p.m. It's $10, but I've really been, since talking to him and talking to a few of the people who are on the panel, become like incredibly fascinated with this topic of marine communities. And so this, the short version is um, a lot of people, enslaved people who escaped, they didn't necessarily go the routes that we're familiar with that we were taught in school, like the Underground Railroad up north. A lot of there was actually a vast majority of them that would go off on their own and kind of form these autonomous communities. The big, the largest one in the United States was in Bear Creek, twenty miles up river near Richmond Hill. Oh, really? Um, and so, the, the, again, maroon community like they were, they had generally a few homes. They they would uh, have some crops. Um, they were near the plantations where they escaped from because they were still family members and people that they took care of from there. Um, but this Bear Creek one was fortified. It was initially started by a couple, a number of Revolutionary War soldiers, Black soldiers who fought for the British, who then went and formed this community. They were found out. They went to South Carolina, came back to Georgia a few years later. But it was a heavily fortified, like it had a century. I mean, it had, bear, you know, it was very fortified, which is why they call it the hit, the Bear Creek Fortress. Mm. And there were over 100 people there. There were 17 acres. They had corn. They had a bunch of other crops. They had families there. 
Um, and so these, we have a number of scholars, two local people and one coming from, uh, I want to say New York as well, who have studied this, the, the two local people have studied like this area as well as these types of communities in Savannah. And so it's going to be really fascinating. I'm excited. Um, and uh, yeah, it's 7 p.m. at the Learning Center. You can go buy tickets through the book lady, but it's a piece, as George Green described it, it's a piece of, of Savannah history that has not been fully explored, that is no. very much a part of our, our history. Yeah, not, not familiar with it. I'd like to think I'm pretty familiar. With yeah, that. no, I mean, that's the, he, he, but speaking of Duncan, Duncan was the one who turned him on to the subject because he was kind of like, have you ever heard about these soldiers who fought for the British and, you know, in the siege of Savannah who created this community? And that's kind of what led him on this trail. Before we get to Duncan. Where's the learning center? It's at Senior Citizens Inc. There on Bull Street, um, south of South of Victory. South of Victory. So it's over there. Um, I think it could probably fit like 200 or so people. I don't know how many people have bought tickets, but I, it's I think it's worth 10 bucks. I mean, you're supporting the book lady and the learning center who both do good good work, and it's going to be a fascinating time. And the one woman, Dr. Diof, who I talked to, is like the leading scholar on these communities in America. So it's very exciting. Before Zach and I remember John Duncan, a break in the programming to encourage you to subscribe to the Savannah Town Square Opinion Newsletter. Every week, subscribers to the newsletters get a sneak peek at an opinion commentary, get to weigh in on a Vox Populi topic, get caught up on our latest podcast topics, and get access to a collection of our latest opinion works. All of that delivered right to your email inbox. Go to savannahnow.com newsletters and sign up. And you don't have to subscribe to the Savannah Morning News or savannahnow.com to get the newsletter, so there are no excuses. Now, back to the discussion with Zach Dennis. Let's spend the balance of our time talking about John Duncan, who died recently at the age of 84, somebody that most, a lot of people in Savannah knew. We've got a lot of iconic people here in town, and we seem to be losing them at an ever- too quick pace mm -hmm. and John was one of them and you wrote a uh, uh, very complete obit for the newspaper and chronicled his life and I think most people would know him best as the owner and operator of a antique shop downtown mm -hmm. that sold maps and books and lots of old stuff uh, if you've ever seen the cover of Midnight in the Good Garden of Good and Evil and who hasn't uh, the bird lady from Bonaventure he Owned that photograph yeah, that right? as Jack Lee photographed that he owned. It's uh, up for auction right now. It's up for auction right now. But uh, tell us a little bit about John Duncan. And I know you knew a lot about him going in, but in, in doing this work, how much more did you learn about not, him? I mean, not too much. I met him once. We were trying to develop this walking tour podcast here where you would listen to the podcast from the Fountain Forsyth all the way to Johnson Square. And so I, but I didn't want it to just be me talking the entire time. And so I, would, I interviewed a number of people and got them on audio to kind of like carry some of the historical background. And so John was one of the people I, and so I met him and Ginger at the store and they have the dogs there. And I, I, I found the audio of like him reading. He's, uh, he's reading, I forgot what it's about, um, but it's a newspaper article from the Savannah morning news that he had. And he just had this, like, he just has this thick Southern accent. The people that, you know, he was, he was taller than me. He was like six, six seven, six, seven. And Ginger said he was probably six, five later in life, but still like, I mean, um, but he was just tall uh, seersucker suit, just, mm -hmm. you, you yeah, looked at him and, and you, well, 
you you look at him and you're like, this is the most Southern person of all time. But then he was also, you know, if you think of um, stereotypes of how people saw those people, uh, saw people like that from the South, he completely bucked all of that. Um, it was really fascinating learning. I talked to a number of people who knew him or t- took his classes in um, the teacher at Armstrong, at Armstrong college. Yeah. He was there for, for like 30, 35 years, but he started there in the sixties and then was there through the seventies. Um, I talked to Otis Johnson who, um, you know, he, when he came there as the first African-American student at Armstrong, he was like, you know, John Duncan was one of the teachers who came up and was kind of like, we kind of gave him a, a, show of support, which he was like, was appreciated, you know, while he was trying to navigate that. Um, but he was a very fiery teacher. I mean, he kind of said, there was a couple, I had a couple quotes in there about like how he, what he would say in class and, you know, in a, in a time I was thinking about it in a time when it's a little, teachers are very, um, careful of what they say in right. class. I was like, this is very, very much is the opposite of that. Right. He liked um, to challenge challenge your thinking which is well, good when you're 18 19 20 years old yeah that's that's what ginger his wife said as much she was like i mean he wanted the kids to think that like he was doing it not to be like uh i'm gonna you know wound you up it's like no if you disagree with that that's fine but i want you to think about that and explain back to me why you disagree with that mm-hmm. um but yeah as a, as a teacher he touched so many lives but then um I mean, he was just in, instrumental in, in savannah society he was the one of the people really the chief confidant of um john barrett who i talked to um when he was writing midnight um because the house was across the street from it was but also john just knew the the thing about john was that he just had this encyclopedic knowledge of not only georgia history but savannah history and so and john wasn't uh john barrett was talking about he's like john duncan was not you had a lot of people who were kind of oh you shouldn't write this you're airing out the dirty laundry or they're giving their side of things, but it's very slanted towards, sure. that, you know, and John Duncan didn't do any of that. He just gave him the, he gave you the skinny. Um, he, uh, you know, he would, he would pretty much said what's what, and he also directed him towards some of that outside history. You know, this is what you should, this is what you should explore from the black communities in town. This is what you should explore in the LGBT communities in town. Like he was pushing him in those directions where, a lot of the older Savannah families that he was talking to were just talking about their stuff. Um, and so I think that you, you think about the book and how really um, um, vibrant it is. I think a lot of that is owed to Duncan's like pointing him towards those things. Um, and then he also just was, um, you know, he was a giant collector. He collected um, a lot of artwork, regional artists, um, Christopher Murphy, um, he was good friends with Willis Hakeem Jones, um, things like that, where he, he had just a, if you visit his, visited his house, which I did when I went, got the audio, it's like visiting a museum. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I, it's, it's tough to categorize how much of a loss it is for Savannah, because this was somebody who, if like, if we were doing like a Mount Rushmore of Savannah, John Duncan would have to be on there. Yeah. I was prepping earlier and looking at some of the pictures we had of the original artwork that he had and in his possession and a lot of it i can see a piece of it from from where i'm sitting right now here mm-hmm. in the office and it's it's artwork maps yeah um, that kind of thing that you see all the time they're synonymous with savannah you see them all over but you didn't realize that like he there's one of the the big one of the big items in the auction that's going on right now is this this original map of savannah where you can see you know the couple houses and things you just see the general lobby general lobby yeah, it's just, it's incredible. Yeah. Where can folks, if they're interested in that auction, where can they? 
Uh, it's it's going through Everard auctions. So um, it's right now. It's I, I think it, it continues to the end of today or through the end of Thursday. Yeah, it, it does. And so, yeah, you can go and bid there. But yeah, I mean, you have this map, you have a number of different items. I mean, the big ones, the big, the big ticket item, I feel like is the, is the bird girl um, photograph from, that's also signed by Jack Lee as well as John Barrett. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, it was kind of between that. And then um, I wrote a, a bit of our longtime columnist, Jane Fishman, who died on Sunday. Mm-hmm. It's just, we're at this period it's making me very disheartened about the future of Savannah because a lot of, as Ginger Duncan said, a lot of the tall timbers are falling. Okay. And you're just kind of, you know, I, I, to me personally, I don't know. There's a difference between being like kind of a, a like a leader and being just kind of this, like a character as West, like, like Duncan or Jane Fishman was, I think it's a long, it's a discussion for another time, whether we have leaders or not here, mm-hmm. but I think we're very much losing our characters. And I think that it's, a, it, you know, it's not just that we're losing this kind of old Savannah way of life. I Man, it's going and it's going to go anyway, but it's also, we're not, I don't feel like we're necessarily replacing it with people who interjected so much life into the city, like people like John Duncan or Jane Fishman did. And that's making me very um, pessimistic for the future. <laughs> Do you think a city reaches a point in terms of its probably size more than anything that becomes harder and harder to do? Or is that just a cop out? It might be, you know, I think, I think a lot of it, and, and honestly, Barrett said as much, you know, the popularity of that book and bringing people to town, uh, SCAD coming and, and doing all the work that they did. Um, Paula Dean for a while. Paula Dean for a while. And just the, the, the general tourism angle, I think, you know, my, my very jaded, pessimistic quote is like, you can't have an interesting city if it's a, if it has a Condé Nast travel guide. Um, <laughs> but I think I think also it's just um, I think COVID did a lot to it just because, again, like I was talking about with the art, everybody's very segmented. And, you know, when Duncan, when they were living in Monterey Square, all their neighbors lived there. They weren't STBRs. They weren't short term residents. They lived there. They were people living there. And, and they'd lived there for a while. Exactly. And so I think, you know, you knew everybody. That's why. And you were budding. It wasn't just, you know, he said he, he bought his house for less than $50,000 in, you know, the 60s on East Taylor Street. So it wasn't just wealthy people. It was wealthy people. It was middle class people like, you know, as a, as a, as a college professor, things like that, you know. And so I, I don't think necessarily you have that anymore. I think the vacation rentals heard it. I think, you know, um, just kind of the pushing out of, of a middle or lower class to other sections of the city kind of hurts that as well. It's just, I don't know. I don't know the solution to it. That's why it's just very depressing to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I certainly think that, that it all starts with neighborhoods and we're, we've seen a, a tremendous upheaval, quite frankly, in all of our neighborhoods the last 25 or 30 years. So, yeah until that kind of settles out, I think we're, we're yeah. in for this for a while. It's a complicated uh, question because it's, I don't think it's just Savannah. Um, I think it's happening all over the place, but there's something Savannah people, people are coming to Savannah today because of those characters, because of those personalities. And so it's kind of, it's just, you know, old things fall and new things come in. But the question, I guess we have to ask ourselves sitting here today is like, how do we, what, what new things do we want to settle in um, to kind of make this a city that we want to live in? So it's just, um, 
people like John Duncan and Jane Fishman made it a city that you wanted to live in. Yeah. Sounds like a podcast for another day. Oh, man. Yeah. Zach, always good to visit with you. I know you were, I guess it was last month now, you were gone for a while. You went to Toronto Film Festival. So we're going to roll that back out ahead of the SCAD Savannah Film Festival. We'll sit down and have a, a film discussion. Yeah. And you can uh, show just how ignorant I am because if it was a movie made after 2000, I probably haven't seen it. They have, they're doing a Blade Runner screening at SCAD Film Festival. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> the remake or the original? The original. Okay, good. Look forward to that. But thank you so much for spending time with me today, Zach. Sure. That's all for this edition of the Commute Podcast. Thanks one last time to our presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. Before I sign off, remember that we publish new Commute episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Whatever your interests, you will find interviews of interest in our archives. Search The Commute with that Savannah opinion on your favorite podcast app. The Commute returns next week when we'll finally be able to talk about how a Savannah pro hockey team is performing on the ice. That's right. The Ghost Pirates open Saturday in Greenville. It'll be another two weeks before they open here at home. With their first game Saturday, October 22nd in Greenville, South Carolina. And I will be there. I look forward to talking to you about it then. Have a good day. Mm-hmm.